Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation podcast in association with Hall Week, the industry's leading trade title. This podcast is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, More People, the market leaders for professional recruitment across the UK and internationally. They specialise in horticulture, fresh produce, food, agriculture, and garden and leisure sectors. For more information, please visit morepeople.co.uk. Nobody could have carved this out for me, this career path that I'm on at the moment. I think you've just got to find what you enjoy doing and stick doing that. I'm Neville Stein, one of the trustees of the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation. We know it's quite hard to find good information about horticultural careers, which is why we've made this podcast. My next guest is Liam Beddle, who is Senior Rose Consultant at the world-renowned David Austin Roses. I wanted to speak to Liam to find out about his route into the industry, which took a different path to many. In a world where there are millions of plants, huge numbers of genus, what is it like just specialising in one genus, spending your working day with one genus, that is roses? You have to be pretty obsessive to want to do that realistically. And that's one of the things that's really interested me about this job is being able to be a specialist in any type of plant, I think is quite important. And initially, I felt maybe that that would limit the opportunities that I've had. But actually, it's furthered those opportunities, particularly if you have a wider interest. And my dad has always said to me in life, whenever you're looking for something, you're looking for somebody to do your house up or in your garden, always seek out the specialist. And that's what people tend to do when they come to us directly is seek out the specialist in that particular group of plants. So I can't profess to know everything about other plants, but I do know what works with roses. And I think that's quite important to me anyway, but it has opened up a wider set of opportunities, particularly in the garden setting. So I'm quite pleased about that. My understanding and perception is that David Austin is the world leading brand in roses. Tell us a little bit more about what that means. It means several things, really. It is an important brand, admittedly, but really the the roots are David Austin's vision to try and cross the 
beauty, the repeat flowering and fragrance of the old rose with at the time of when he started breeding, the colour range and the repeat flowering ability of what were modern roses, so hybrid teas and, and floribundas at the time. Breeding was certainly David Austin Sr.'s passion. Obviously, we're now led by David Austin Jr., his son. But in terms of what it means... Generally, each year we release one to two roses per year. We invest over a million pounds in a breeding process which goes over 13 years. So what we want to be able to do there is give confidence to people who are purchasing the English roses that these are tried and tested varieties that are fragrant, reliable, mix well in mixed borders, rose borders, pots and containers, great for wildlife. There's a huge demand on the rose, probably bigger than any other plant that I can think of. It's got a flower for most of the season. It's got to be fragrant, great for bees, great for cutting. There's no other shrub that comes to mind that's it's got to flower and have so much relied upon throughout the whole season. So it's quite an important task, really. You talked about the, the essence of the business is about plant breeding. And, you know, I think anyone that knows David Austin knows there's been a real pedigree of plant breeding there. But your role is not plant breeding. Tell us a little bit about your role. I work in the professional trade services department. My job is as senior rose consultant. So I work with my colleague, Richard Stubbs, who has been here over 30 years, was previously the head gardener. And now what we do is we head up the pro trade department and we deal with, in the main, garden designers and landscapers. That's one of the groups of people we deal with. We also deal with gardens and public spaces where roses are shown. So one of the key tasks that we're doing at the moment is visiting rose gardens up and down the country, right from Schoon up in Scotland, right down to sort of Rosemore down in Devon. We're visiting gardens through the UK to look at rose gardens, see how we can help, help update collections, see what's looking good in some places, what's not looking good in other places, and bring that information back within the company to use that and further the knowledge we have because although we are world experts in the breeding and the rose growing it's important that we do still keep up to date with what's going on in the industry keep abreast of that and bring that information back to further the company that sounds like a very interesting job and from what you've just said it sounds like there's a huge amount of time spent traveling is that correct you know how much of your day would be or, or week is spent traveling about this year has been a sort of fact-finding mission realistically so this year we've been spending about three to four days a week traveling last week it was about 15 hours worth of driving we tend to visit about three gardens per day at least three days a week it's really important of course if we're making a trip that's four hours away to make the best of that time when we're down there um, so there's quite a lot of traveling but interestingly it's quite useful to me one of the things that's important to me is that travel time with my colleague who's been here for 30 years i'll probably learn more about roses in the time in the car by sort of badgering him with questions and asking him why all the time than than anything else so that's a really useful time for me actually and are you doing any international traveling i have this year with the company so i went to the ipm this year in january and helped out there having studied german i helped there and also i went to do some talks in some garden center in switzerland uh, maya garden garden centre gave a talk there about the development of the English rose so it's important that when our wholesale department our licensing department have good licensees and growers that we can work with them to further the development of the roses and the brand in their area. What's the purpose of that visit? Are you looking to connect links with that garden or are you looking to identify a problem or are you looking to give advice to that garden owner? 
It's all of the above, really. From my point of view, often with these gardens, we've been working with them as a company for a long time, but it might be the first time that I or even Richard has ever visited them before. So it's about rebuilding relationships, certainly post-COVID, not that any relationships have broken down, but visiting was obviously limited to none through COVID. So it's about revisiting, seeing where the spaces are at, updating varieties, people telling us that actually, you know, here Kew Gardens grows fantastically as a climber, even though you only sell it as a shrub. It's about gathering all that information and sharing it back into the industry. And one of the things that I'm really passionate as as a younger member of the horticultural industry is about resharing information because I'm really conscious that it's better now, but I'm really conscious there's a lot of people in the industry who hold a lot of knowledge, but the sharing of that information is not so free. And I don't think that's deliberate, but I just think it's about the gap between this sort of older members of the horticultural industry and the younger members is quite large. So bridging that between sharing of information, i.e. with me and my colleague, 30 years difference between us. But by doing that, we can further ourselves, but also the company. Can we explore a little about your career path into horticulture? You're a fairly new entrant into the industry. You've worked at David Austin for about six years. And from what I understand, you came there direct from university. Is that correct? That's it, yes. So I was at university in Liverpool studying French, German and Spanish. So um, I studied there for three years, lived abroad for a while and then came back to my hometown in Shropshire. And I was looking for a job where you could speak modern European languages. And in a smallish area, that's quite tricky. So my grandma saw this advert online and said, you should go and apply for this. And I thought, I'm not really interested in plants, let alone specifically roses. But now she said, go go and have a look. You never know what will happen. So I, I came down. Fortunately, I actually knew the hiring manager at the time through mutual connections, through music and playing in bands. And they offered me the job in the export department where I was working with my colleagues speaking French, German, Spanish daily and dealing with our European customers. And then I got really quite excited about the roses, a bit geeky about it, I suppose, and a bit obsessive. I did some further studying outside. I studied with the RHS. I'm still studying with the British Academy of Garden Design, which I've been really enjoying. And then I was fortunate, as I say, to begin working with my colleague Richard as of September last year to sort of reform the work that they've been doing in the trade department. Because realistically, within a specific genus of plants, knowledge is quite key. So we're really trying to bulk that out a little bit. And I was quite fortunate to be given this quite important role, which involves visiting these important gardens and spaces and some brand ambassador opportunities doing various talks about the brand, but also roses. What's interesting is that you mentioned the non-traditional route, but actually what we're picking up on these podcasts is that that traditional route doesn't exist anymore. So one of the key skills I think that you need to have to work in the horticultural industry is adaptability. Having come into the industry without any skills and actually now working in it for six years, I think the key thing is that you have to be able to adapt to new situations. And you also have to have a really open mind, as I did when I started, by taking on this new role and saying yes to as many opportunities as you can. Certainly in recent years, I've I've said yes to two or three things that I really didn't feel that comfortable doing, really put me out of my comfort zone, certainly doing talks in garden centres in Switzerland in in a second language to me about a quite specific topic, something I really didn't feel comfortable doing. But I was persuaded that actually I could do it and we really want you to do it and actually had a really fantastic time in doing it. So I think you've got to be adaptable. I think you've got to take some risks, take some opportunities that you didn't think that you would normally. The reason why 
I studied languages at university was because I was passionate about it. So I didn't actually have a career path in mind. And the reason why I mention that is because I think the key thing is really is to just do what you're passionate about. And just like Mr. Austin with the breeding, if you're really passionate about something and you just stick in your lane and do that, if you think it's right and you're doing it to the best of your ability, then eventually the career path will carve itself out. Nobody could have carved this out for me, this career path that I'm on at the moment. So I think you've just got to find what you enjoy doing and stick doing that and stick in your own path. Find the people in the industry that are interested in similar things with you, share with them, learn with them, build each other up. You know, it's not a competition. We're all here to support each other. And if you stick in that lane, eventually your career path will carve itself. And if it's not carving itself, then maybe you haven't found the right passion or you're not in the right job or part of the industry. But there's certainly a part of the industry that will fit every passion. I find your story really fascinating because, you know, people perhaps of my age that have spent our life in horticulture, you know, have followed that traditional route of going to horticultural college or, or university to study horticulture. But isn't it delightful to hear that you can go off and study something else and then come into horticulture and have a worthwhile career? Have you found other people doing that within the organisation? Yeah, there's quite a few people here that have done that. And when you go to various businesses and they say, oh, I've studied and you say sort of, well, where did you study? What did you do? It's very rare, I think, unless it's a sort of traditional pathway, maybe midwifery or engineering or pilot studies, which go directly to it, that you find somebody who studied something direct. And one of the key questions that I get asked whenever I go anywhere is, where did you do your horticultural training? That's the first thing that somebody's asked. I'm always prepared for that question. Right. There's kind of an expectation that you should have that. And while I don't disagree and I am fairly studious and that's something I'd look to do in the future, definitely, I'm quite fortunate that I've got a lot of hands-on experience here with one genus of plants, which is quite a specific thing. And there's not a huge amount of people putting investment in people just doing that one thing. But it is quite interesting that you can do that. And I said earlier, having listened to previous podcasts, I was quite interested in that too, as I thought maybe I was the only person that sort of came in through the back, as it were. But no, there's quite a lot in that respect and we're beginning to see that now actually that's changed my perception really because you know i came through that traditional route so it's great to hear that horticulture can be open to a huge wide range of career types if you like but did you get stuck in onto the nursery and actually start growing some plants so you could really understand the genus did you get your hands dirty? <laughs> Not necessarily on the nursery per se. So when we came here, you get quite an intense training where you go around and see every element of the business because, of course, this is still a business at the end of the day. So we're sending out millions of plants a year. We've got a nursery downstairs. So the bare root roses are grown here, obviously, then they're potted up. But... On the nursery, not so much, but actually at home, yes. I mean, I have a fairly small garden, which has got, well, it's had more than, but it's got 80 roses in it at the moment. And then just in recent times, I've taken on allotment and been growing them there as well. So that is one thing I'm really quite passionate about is actually seeing the roses grow, seeing how they develop. Because in my role, the questions I get asked are very specific. They are, well, what colour is the new foliage when it comes? What are the thorns like? What is the growth habit like? Those are the things that I have to consider. And one of the elements... I do with Richard is garden design. So you have to have a complete understanding 
of that rose to know that actually if it's a fairly upright rose it's not going to work in that more informal space or vice versa so you do have to have that and i encourage people here to actually go out we're very fortunate because we've got a two acre show garden here essentially where you can go around and actually see the plants in development there's a lot of information internally but you've got to see them and i'm completely aware of that so if we think about your job, what for you are the most enjoyable aspects? You know, is it actually that connection with one particular genus or is that connection with other like-minded enthusiasts? It's definitely the latter. You know, when you go to a garden or you get a customer on the phone who's super interested in plants generally, it's so difficult to not just get completely sidetracked and excited about a conversation, different plant combinations, how things work, different ways of growing. It's definitely the relationship building thing is quite important for me. I really quite enjoy doing the brand ambassador things, which is going out and giving talks and showing people. I did some talks in some garden centres for my colleague Andy this year where we could actually go out and talk about roses, but actually also, you know, take roses off the nursery beds, take other plants and show how they can work together. And to see that sort of light bulb moment go off in people's head where they think, yep, I can do that. I can actually mimic that in my own garden because a lot of our marketing material will show nowadays a lot smaller gardens too, but historically it's shown big grand gardens. And I think people have felt a little bit that that maybe might not have been as accessible but nowadays we're working towards you know gardens generally getting smaller you know particularly for newer builder houses so we have to think about that too and actually our client base getting larger as well so we have to think about that so all of those things quite interest me and the other thing that i really get excited about is when we do the shows i think when you go and do the flower shows chelsea hampton you do those and you're interacting with people face to face amongst the roses with your colleagues who are super passionate i, I don't think you can get any better than than that really I'd, I'd like to perhaps explore a little bit more about what you guys are doing about sustainability you know we're beginning to obviously in horticulture start to really get to grips with you know the sustainability issue you know reduction in peat you know looking at how we can you know save water in commercial production you know how do you feel the rose crop that you're growing or, or, or the genus is going to be developed in the future to be more sustainable uh, to cope with a changing climate yeah, so there's several things that we're doing as a company to be sustainable, internally focused and externally focused. So internally focused, one of the things that was sort of done last year was with the release of something which we call the Bloom program. And Bloom is an internal program and a commitment to being more environmentally minded, but also to bringing people on within the industry, to reducing peat, to the saving of water. So internally with our water mass collections that we have, using solar panels, having bees on site, all of those things. And a lot of the things that we actually do as a company, we don't tend to really make a song and dance about it just tends to be done so for example when you look at the packaging that the bare root roses were sent out in that has been changed for several years now where it's paper packaging the actual bag that the bare root rose goes in is a compostable potato starch bag and these are all things that we do as a company which we see as pretty normal but actually have been quite forward thinking in that way obviously peat and the reduction in peat and the removal of peat eventually is an important thing it's quite interesting when you have one genus one monocrop realistically you have to be very careful about what you use and how you use it to make sure that everything is successful um so 
obviously there's shrubs as well um, so when you're planting roses in something that's peat free you might have to make some amendments to that peat free for sustainable and longer term planting particularly in the garden so there's a huge amount of steps that the company is making and we're not perfect yet um, but we're certainly committed to making those steps as viable as we can and as quickly as we can and in terms of the plant breeding are you actively involved as a company in a program to breed plants that can be adapted to perhaps you know hotter drier summers well not necessarily to hotter and drier summers per se as a main goal the main goal really will always be to breed a rose that is charming beautiful fragrant and healthy those are the key characteristics at least to my mind but what i will say is that you'll probably as an industry be aware that a lot of the older roses have been discontinued in recent years and that has been a really important commercial decision that was made by the company in the respect that we've taken out some of the roses that don't perform as well they have a higher disease pressure than some of the more modern roses and so whilst that means that really fragrant and beautiful varieties have been retired it makes way for modern roses that are better repeat flowering better fragrance but also can stand up to higher disease pressure which of course with roses comes more about when you have challenging weather conditions high humidity high rainfall so interestingly people have thought maybe that was a commercial decision maybe you're just stopping that to try and sell new roses well it's not that actually what it is is that we're conscious that people don't want to spray anymore and they want to have a long season of interest fragrant roses so we've got to make a continued effort to keep engagement with roses in that respect of course our breeding program goes on over 12 to 13 years now investing over a million pounds a year in that so you can be pretty confident that the roses that come out are the best of the best that we have and that have been trying extensively to make sure that the roses that are available to people and we're going to give them real joy and success in the garden so you've had six years so far at uh, david austin straight out from university what's been your best day at work so far gosh yeah it's a really difficult question i have a lot of good days a lot of bad days but i have a lot of good days we all have both but i think some of the best days I've ever had have realistically, as I say previously, been at the shows, working with my colleagues, working with Richard, working with Andy, my colleague in the wholesale department. For me, what my best days are working with people who are really knowledgeable and who really want to share and help you on. And I've been very blessed to work in a company where people who have been here 30, 40 years are now really keen to help the next generation on into horticulture. You'll probably be aware that we are now affiliated with the YPHA, of which I'm a member. And that is something that's really important to me and also to the company into bringing new people on into the industry and sharing information giving people a leg up to say actually this is a really exciting place to work as a company but it's also a really exciting industry to work in it's not just what you thought it was 40 years ago there's a wealth of opportunity out there through gardening garden design production social media working in groundskeeping there's so many different things out there that you just wouldn't realistically believe so my best days are mixing with people in the industry sharing knowledge and and being blessed to have people help you on really so you mentioned the ypha the young persons horticultural association which i understand it now has got 500 members were you the 500th or were you number one (laughs) 
No, I wasn't number one. I wasn't the 500 either. To be honest, I'm ashamed to say it was my colleague who let me know about it here in the company when we went to the Four Oaks show and I signed up and we met with Nat and Molly there and they were just super enthused. And again, to meet with people that are super enthused about something, you automatically become super enthused about it. But I hadn't heard of it before outside of what I was doing. But nowadays, pretty much everywhere I go and you hear people mentioning, and I'm quite fortunate to visit a lot of places up and down the country. So if I see anybody and think they're possible for the YPHA, then I I mention it to them too. So we're now affiliated with them as a company and working with them. And we're hosting a day here for the YPHA in September, where we're having some of the YPHA members over here. There'll be food and tour of production and just sharing what we do. And, And also it's the opportunity for people to network with other people in the industry. It's such a valuable resource that I can't rave about enough, really. I think you're right. I think it's it's an absolutely wonderful organisation. I have a question for you about that, though. Is it an organisation that someone who's vaguely interested in horticulture or perhaps thinking about a career in horticulture could join? Or do you think people join it once they're in horticulture? Well, I think the prerequisite is you have to have made a commitment to be involved with horticulture. So maybe you've signed up to a horticultural course or you've joined as a gardener. I think that is the basic prerequisite. But there's been no judgment on any part from anybody that I've ever experienced within that community of people. Everybody has been so welcoming, answering people's questions, helping people out. There's this huge WhatsApp group with a huge number of people in that sort of messages all day, every day. And you can wake up at two o'clock in the morning to a picture of some scab on an apple. Does anybody know what this is? And then four days later, some expert will comment back and say, yes, it's this, you know, such an invaluable resource to link people. And I think particularly for people in horticulture who work independently, that is such a valuable resource. I'm very fortunate that I work with 500 other people across the whole of the company, essentially. But actually, if you're a garden designer working on your own or doing social media on your own or working as a gardener on your own, to be able to link with other people is such a valuable resource. My thanks to Liam Beddle, who shows that even when skills might not be directly related to horticulture, they can be extremely valuable to a modern horticultural business. Liam mentioned he's studying with the RHS. If you'd like to know more about that, my interview with Sarah Hale may be of interest. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.